Hi, Alok. It's nice to finally meet you. Hey. My name is Zochi de la Luna, and I go by pronouns they, them. My gender identity is agender, and my expression can go all over the place. Um, it's really important for me to meet someone like you, who's been doing performance all over the country and all over the world, and being one of those 10 that has received the award recently. Here in Minneapolis, I am one of the few, if not only, trans, brown, gender nonconforming bookers. And I'm also the host of two variety shows a month that tries to center black, indigenous, brown people, trans people, non-binary people, and women. And it's, it's an initiative that I started in this city because it was, it's a very white city. And as much as, it is, as much as people want to believe that it's a trans haven, it still has a lot of issues, you know, and the people who are producing and curating the shows that we're on are not like me. They don't look like me. You know, they, they, they might be trans, but they're not brown, you know, they're not, they're not indigenous. And so I decided to put this on. And since I started um, 14 months ago, I've had over 145 people, uh, individual artists and, and, and groups, bands, um, perform on my show, Mother Goose's Bedtime Story, um, including the other show, over 190 different entities. And that's not including the individual people in the bands, which I think is, is an incredible feat. And it, it just shows people that we need space. We need to be funded. We need to be heard. And I'm glad to be able to make that space, no matter how small my platform may be. It, I hope that it inspires <laughs> other people. This interview today, we're having is is not only for me but for everybody else like me in this city i just want to say thank you so much for doing that work because i feel like oftentimes people delegitimize art and curation as political strategies but i think when i the more i learn about my trans history it's like the stage has always been kind of a street for us yes. and performance economy has always been a method of resistance and a method of survival and a method of care and a method yes. of pedagogy and it's so vital what you're doing, and I'm so honored to be able to experience your presence. Thank you. So let's start out this interview a little more chill. Um, I'm always wondering where you get your lipstick. Like, what's your favorite <laughs> lipstick brands? Because your lips are always popping. Thank you. Um, my favorite brand is called Pretty Zombie Cosmetics. It's a Halloween liquid vegan matte company. Mm -hmm. I tend to like Halloween and costume makeup as a performer because we always get washed out with really bad transphobic lighting. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Thank you for that. That is actually really helpful to me as a performer. Um, another thing I have a question about is, uh, where are these beautiful shoes from? I actually think that I got these secondhand, which is really rare because every time I shop, I feel like I'm the grandma in Little Red Riding Hood. Oh. The, the wolf and it, because I literally am like nothing fits me yeah. <laughs> and so I've always made to feel like a kind of monstrosity especially when it comes to shoes mm -hmm. I'm like ah like I literally have to like curl up my toes so when I found these and they actually fit I was so happy I can relate to that yeah. uh, and I'm not even as tall as you so I can't even imagine yeah. um, thank you for answering that um, you were saying to me a little earlier that you are a designer now too for three years mm -hmm. how did you come about that and, um, and what's your favorite thing about it? Sure. Well, when I was younger, I literally used to take my bath towels and like wrap them around me like gowns. Mm -hmm. And I would tell everyone I wanted to be a fashion designer. And I was <laughs> like, that's gay. And I was like, no. <laughs> um, and so I feel like I've always had an eye for aesthetics in fashion. Yeah. Um, but I started to make my own pieces because as a performance artist, I always have to give a new look. Mm -hmm. And so at some point I was like, 
it's really hard to find clothing in my size, one. And two, it's really hard when a lot of the clothing out there is super binary. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how would I communicate who I really am? And so I started to learn more about design. And then now I've got a whole sort of team that I work with in India every year. That's so cool. In New Delhi, I make like a new collection every year. And these are just kind of like one of a kind pieces that I wear when I'm performing. Yeah. But what I like about them so much is that I'm like choosing the fabrics, thinking about um, the stories I want to communicate. And a lot of what I'm trying to do with my pieces is imagine what I would wear if I wasn't afraid of violence. Like mm-hmm. that sort of utopic impulse to fashion is really important to me. That's wonderful. Thank you for saying that. Um, so then how much of your budget goes to picking out the wardrobe for like the month, you know? Oh my gosh, so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm if, not asking for specific. This is the thing where like everyone's like, oh my God, I love your outfit. I'm just like, can you like donate? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's like this Catch-22 where like I think that people require trans feminine people to be beautiful mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. order to be real. Yeah. And so I feel like there's always been a pressure for me to like look quote unquote good. Yeah. Um, and that's expensive, especially like when you think about like, okay, wow, I want to start communicating my gender. How do I do that? Clothing's a really great tool, but clothing can be really expensive. Yeah. But that's also why I started designing in some ways because I was spending a lot of money on pieces that didn't even fit me. And like actually having pieces that fit me and were like made for my body felt really great. That's awesome. Well, do you ever circumvent all that or or maybe just have fun with your friends' wardrobes? Yeah. That's something I find myself doing a lot. Totally. Except there's hell hath no scorn, like someone borrowing an article of clothing to me and losing it. <laughs> I like have a list of so many pieces and it really like compromises my friendships for a while where mm. I'm like, how could you lose that jacket? Yeah. Like Oh my gosh. So, um, like, I'm down for that, but then I also, like, get really anxious. I'm like, is this going to go somewhere? I think that for me, like, clothing is really personal because I couldn't control my race or my gender growing Mm -hmm. up, but I could control my style, and that's how I could really communicate that there was something different about me. And so I still, to this day, like, have such deep emotional connections with so many of the articles of clothing. I'm a little bit of a hoarder, so, like, I still have stuff from, like, second grade. Like, why do I have this? I don't really know. But I really hold on to those things because those were, in so many ways, my armor, and they still are. Yeah. That that speaks a lot to me, too. It is my armor, what I'm wearing today. You know? I feel amazing because of it. Mm-hmm. So I get that a lot. Um, are you familiar with the term hard femme? Yeah. Why do you think – well, like, because I've been, I've been out as trans and gender nonconforming gender for almost four years now mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm relatively a baby compared to you so i kind of wanted to ask my like you know gender non-forming elder <laughs> not to like you know make you feel old or anything but you are um in the sense of experience why do you think that people don't react as much to like a really nice hard femme look you know like you know like uh like a more masculine jacket uh paired up with like a dress or something you know Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like whenever I express myself more hard femme than like high femme, I feel like these these terms are very clunky mm-hmm. and gender politics are kind of clunky too. Right. But this is what I have, right? And I feel like you might understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with like ideas of dismissing femininity as ridiculous or excessive. And what I really try to do and embrace in my style is to like 
become that thing that they fear mm. and show that it's actually really fun. So like for so long in my life, I remember when I literally came out to my mom when I was like, what, like 16? It's like, I'm gay, but I'm not flamboyant. And there was always just like this negation mm. of this like super failed femininity that's like super dramatic and yeah. uh, lots of glitter and like pink. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be that. But then I started to realize like that was my own internalized trans misogyny yeah. that at every level we're taught that trans femme aesthetics are somehow ridiculous or superficial or histrionic. Um, and so I think that the the sort of different displays of femininity have a lot to do with respectability and a lot to do with proximity to masculinity. Mm. Um, and I think what I really try to challenge myself with my fashion is like, how do I embrace an article of clothing outside of that framework, like outside of outside of like, will I be taken seriously or not? Um, I hate professionalism as a concept, mm. uh, especially as a fashion aesthetic. Like I just every morning I take a moment of silence for all the people who have to work nine to five and work in ugly outfits. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh my God. Every time a friend's like, can we go shopping late to get like new pencil skirts for work? I'm like, oh my, like, <laughs> whoa. Actually, even before I really had a politics around gender conformity, I remember when I was like in fifth grade, I was like, I want to go to business school and change business fashion. It wasn't about being a CEO or anything. It was literally like, how could people wear such ugly things? And uh, yeah, I still, I'm really sad about that. Me too. Yeah. Uh, a question that may be a little more conceptual is, um, what is red to you? Red? Red. The color red. This is something that I was really interested in as an indigenous person, and also because I knew I had a chance to uh, interview, um, you know, a gender nonconforming femme from India, mm -hmm. or at least Indian identity. You know, I hate to say it, but red really, for me, reminds me of violence. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think... Colors have shifting meanings to me depending on where I'm at in my life. But I think in my life right now, the reality of violence kind of like filters into everything I do and think. It feels really hard to escape from just the constant onslaught of just like another murder or someone who I know being arrested or someone who I know being attacked. And I think that now so much of my relationship, not just with color, but with aesthetics and with trans life is so coupled with violence and that makes me sad yeah. i wish that i could um remember and feel especially in bleak moments trans and gender euphoria but it's so often eclipsed well let's go back into performance mode um <laughs> and by that i mean um feminine public is isn't like some sort of tour right it's just you trying to communicate what you did in your video on your website that beautiful video that people should really go check out um about being femme in public, being out mm -hmm. in the street. And I have, I'm have i incredibly excited for your show tonight. Um, what can you tell us about visiting Minneapolis specifically for femme in public? So I think what I, one of the things I started to realize is like people are comfortable with people like us on a stage because they think that this is a costume or something that will come off um, and then they can go back to normal. And as an artist, I found myself in a kind of paradoxical space where I was validated on stage and then attacked off of it mm. uh, for the exact same looks. And so I started to think a lot about the relationship between applause and harassment. Mm -hmm. And I think the continuum there is the idea of being a spectacle. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in so many ways we're rendered spectacles and you're allowed to be spectacle on a stage, but the minute you're spectacle on the street, you get a lot of unnecessary attention. And so I started to really ask myself, like, why can't I 
wear whatever I want outside? And why do they pretend that art only belongs on a stage or in a gallery or on a screen or on a runway mm-hmm. and not on the streets? And how have people disciplined the art out of themselves? So I think what Femme Public for me is about a celebration of trans femininity and especially racialized trans femininity, but also a celebration of creative creativity and artistry mm-hmm. and really trying to get people to recognize like art as a method teaches us how to live in the world more generally. Um, and so many of the values that I've learned as a theater practitioner, I'm able to take into the ways that I navigate my life. So when I see strange things in public, I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> like, I just have a, such a different relationship with like vision and a different relationship with navigating the world where I'm just like, okay, fun, another way to live. And then in terms of Minneapolis, I mean, I think that in this country right now, uh, at every level, there's policies being put into place to disappear visibly gender non-conforming people from public space. Um, and for me, these bathroom bills, quote unquote, are part of a larger strategy to make it so that we don't feel safe in public and that we have to only be able to express ourselves in private or on stages. And so I think that what I'm trying to do tonight is to give permission to all the gender non-conforming people in this town and in this state that like you deserve to exist in public. And I'm sorry that that's been politicized. Like <laughs> existence shouldn't be up for debate. I know so many people have told me that they are so happy that you're coming into town, like, you know, based on all the news that's happening, that mm-hmm. it's going to be healing for them. And I want to say thank you, too, for coming to Minneapolis. Um, another thing that I've been, I've been wondering about is um, how did the partnership of Dark Matter with Janani end up ending? Like, was it just time to move on and time to do a Lok solo? Mm-hmm. I think that there comes a point in every artist's career where you have to check in with your creative impulse and be like, where's my creativity taking me? Mm-hmm. This is why I don't really understand pop stars like Katy Perry. I'm just like, Katy, like, there's another calling. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you don't just do the same thing for the rest of your life. And like, I imagine how hard it must be for like Britney Spears to have to perform Toxic at every single concert. Yeah. Like she must have been like, I've moved on. Like I have a whole new corpus of work. And I think that we just both felt drawn to different creative methods. Um, I, I was really invested and still am in performance arts and I think they are much more invested in writing and in science fiction writing. And so I think that what one of the things that I've learned from spending so much of my life repressing because mm-hmm. I had to is if you repress your creative direction that makes you suffer in all realms. I mean that's why cis people are so unhappy. <laughs> they literally are repressed their own gender fluidity. Um, and that's why so many white people are unhappy because they've repressed so much like repression isn't cute, you know? Mm. And so I think that for me, what I'm doing right now is the extension of what I'm feeling in this moment Mm -hmm. that could change like in two years, like who knows? I used to play cello when I was younger, like in two years I could be like, I'm going to be a classical musician. Like, but I think that's what I love about artists is that what I'm saying earlier in the previous question about how value systems around art inform my life. When I speak to artists, we're so much more fluid in our conceptions of the world. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, last year I was really into this, but this year I'm into this. And it could be the exact opposite thing. But we all understand your creative frequency comes and goes and it shifts. That's, yeah, that's that's awesome. And um, that leads me to this question is, if you had all the money in the world to do whatever sort of performance, art, theater, whatever, 
what would you come up with? Oh like right now in this moment in time, like <laughs> what's something that you fantasize about doing? Like, uh, like a I, performance I on top of a train or all something? the time. <laughs> I I love Broadway, and so I go to as many Broadway shows as I can. Every time I'm there, I'm just jealous. Cause I'm like, what would it look like if I had these kind of production costs? Like, first of all, there would be so many outfit changes. I can't <laughs> even tell you. Wow. Ah! Um, like really dramatic. I can't even imagine what I would do. Like really fun outfits. Mm-hmm. Um. Second of all, I would work with an all-trans and GNC stage tech crew. Mm. I think one of the things that's really frustrated me about this trans visibility moment is we're only asking about representation in front of the camera and not representation in all facets. Like, I can't tell you how many trans photo shoots I've been a part of where it's just, like, cis makeup artists or, like, cis hairdressers. I'm like, we need to actually uplift trans talent at all levels. And so I really try to standardize when I'm touring to work with other trans artists, but then also to, like, uplift and pay other trans people. Mm-hmm. Um then I, wow, in terms of location, there's so many places I want to take my art outside of theaters. Those are much more fun to me to be in public. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to do it in like, like, just like places people don't expect for there to be art, like bleak places, like, yeah. like places like in, when I'm thinking about New York, like just like randomly on the street where everyone's just like, there's this moment like 5 p.m. when everyone is going back home after their job and everyone's wearing these ugly like gray suits and they're all like ants just like lining up in these trains. Like subway stations are such beautiful spaces like to really interrupt people's day and be like, there's beauty here. That sounds beautiful. Uh, I hope that that happens one day. (laughs) Um, One other question that I had is a little more like, I don't know, maybe, maybe deep to you. It is to me. Um, what does it mean when people say ancestors are watching over you, like to you? Um, if your closest ancestors wouldn't have accepted you and your distant ancestors couldn't have conceived you, mm. you know, what happens when a culture refuses to recognize continuity between its ancestors, itself, and its descendants? Mm. I think I would question what, who we who we include in our ideas of ancestry. Mm-hmm. Like I really like the term transestors mm. um, because for me, I think about that all the time where I'm like, I've experienced so much violence and invalidation for my own people. Mm-hmm. So I can like romanticize them and be like, yeah, like I love my great grandparents, but like chances are they would look at me and be like, what are you doing? Yeah. So for me, my ancestors are actually my trans elders that I learn about. I feel like a deep kind of kinship and emotional connections with those folks, people who in various times across the world have struggled with similar struggles to me. Um, I think that that's so much of what informs the work I'm doing right now is just being able to have trans elders in my life has really changed me. When I first moved to New York, I was working in an organization called the Audrey Lord Project, and I got the opportunity to meet elder trans women of color, and that really shifted my life because it grounded me in a way to be like, this stuff is not new. Like at every level we're told our genders are new, our, the words we're using are new, the violence we're experiencing, it's not. It's mm-hmm. like it's old as time. Yeah. And that sense of grounding has really kept me going. So that just leads me to the last question is, um, what advice would you give to gender nonconforming brown artists in a city like this that's very white um, on how to go on, how to continue, you know, how to better yourself? Like maybe you have a book recommendation or or something like that, a poem, uh, any sort of advice that you'd willing to give? I mean, there's so much. I think that what I'd really say is like, don't tone it down to make other people comfortable because we have to tone it down to survive in public. 
a lot of my performances, people will be like, whoa, it looks like really, like really going in, right? Like really emotional. And like, I often like just start sobbing while performing. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like actually the stage is some of the only places in the world that we can be safe and look like what we look like mm -hmm. and be honest without being punished for it. Mm -hmm. And if we have to censor our art when we already have to censor our appearance in so many other ways, that really hurts us. Like a lot of what I talk about in my shows is mental health. And I've realized that for me, my art has been one of the biggest tools in, in, in staying alive because I have a space where I can just scream. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's yeah. so important to have spaces to scream because you can't scream when people are harassing you outside because then they're going to blame you for it or you can't scream back once people are, are harassing you because then you're going to be the one that's getting in trouble. And so there's so many moments that you have to silence yourself. And what I would say is like the stage and performance and art should be a place where you can really express yourself. And of course, people are not going to want you to express yourself. They're going to find ways to tone police you. They're going to find ways to be like, well, maybe you, they're going to find ways to have like their like white and cis fragility, like make you feel like you're too much yeah. or excessive, but like you're not too much. They just need to catch up. Thank you so much. Thank you.